Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. I can say that the rest of my life and it won't get old. And it'll all be, always be true, yeah. He's so good. We're going to move from a time of worship and song to a time of worship through the Word. And I say that intentionally because everything we do is worship. Everything. As a follower of Jesus, our life is worship. We're, we are a living sacrifice. So um, worship is not just singing songs. Sometimes we can think that, you know, because, well, it's a worship service. No, no, it, like our life is worship. So we're, we're moving to a time of worship in the Word. We are in week six of a three-week series called This is Jesus. Man, I can't, dude, I, I, I'm sorry, but I love talking about Jesus. And when the more I look at him, you know, I, I was literally just going to do this series the three weeks leading up to Easter and kind of look at, like, a snapshot of Jesus. And I was like, you know, he was around on earth after his resurrection, so let's, look, let's, let's take it through his ascension. So that's what we're going to look at today is in Acts chapter 1, 1 through 12. So some of you guys might have heard before we get into this, I, I have a confession to make. All right, I'm like, I'm, I, 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 you guys know me, I, I try to be real with you. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. Like, he can't say that. Would you rather me say it and then pretend that I'm, or pretend that I'm not? I mean, like, let's just be real. I'd rather just be real with you. You know, we have too many pastors that pretend that they've never sinned. But I didn't sin, but I am a hypocrite because I bought an F-150. <laughs> I bought a Ford. <laughs> I know. I, I know, I know, you know, like, there is this conviction, I think it was conviction anyways, like, you know, you make for, fun of Fords a lot, man, and so maybe you need to walk a mile on a Ford owner's shoes, and then I've only owned a Ford for three days, and I discovered I'm going to be walking a lot of miles, <laughs> like, oh my goodness, like, oh, but honestly, all you Ford owners out there, is there like a startup kit? Like, do I need to go get extra sneakers and keep them in? Do I need to get a jumper pack? Um, what do I need to do? Like, just keep it three or four jerry cans, of, like, you know, six or seven quarts of oil. What, what's the normal startup for a Ford? Like, yeah, like I look, I looked in the back of my, my manual and, um, my vehicle's older, so it doesn't have a current bus schedule. So I, I need you guys <laughs> Stop it! Stop. Like, like anyone who has a newer Ford, just let me, let me, let me take some photos of your current bus schedule in the back of your manual, and we'll be. All right, I'm sorry. They're still gonna come. I'm just gonna be making fun of myself too. Like so. In my defense, I've always said a Ford Raptor is my dream truck. I did not get a Ford Raptor. Um, if I did, I would not be alive right now because Amy would have killed me. <laughs> I heard those get, um, like, what is it, you know, 10 or 7 gallons a mile? I don't, I don't. 
All right, all right, all right. Let's, let's, let's get into this. Let's get into this. Confession time is over. We're looking at Acts chapter 1, and Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. So the, the doctor, Luke, he wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so like when you're reading Luke, you might as well just kind of skip John and go straight to Acts because it's like, it's like part one and part two. And um, it, they're very similar in that in that um, in their structure and how he writes and everything because he's a doctor and and everything. But with that said, this covers the ascension of Jesus. So during the ascension time with Jesus, like there's some commands that Jesus gave, and he only gives us like one here. But like Matthew gives us another command, and we talked about it last week. The great commission go into all the world he says all first he goes all power and authority belong to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all the commands i've given you and lo i'll be with you always even to the ends of the age and then jesus goes up to heaven and that that was one of the things that he had during this conversation and then mark 16 he gives us another command that jesus had during this conversation and it went something like this go and preach the gospel to all creation some translations say, go and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. And then he says, and in my name, you'll cast out demons. You'll heal the sick. You'll speak in new tongues. You'll drink poison. And he goes through this whole thing in Mark. And then we get into Acts. And we get another command right before the ascension. And quite frankly, I, that's what I want to look at. So we're going to jump right into verse 1, 1 through 12. And it says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, and he's referring to the book of Luke. That is the third book in the New Testament about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And notice that word began here because the book of Acts, like, is short for Acts of the Apostles. So um, I, I think it's actually short for Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit working through the church. That's really what the book of Acts is. But... Um, Jesus started something, but obviously his purpose and mission on earth was to pay the debt for our sin. He paid the debt for our sin in our place on our cross, and then he rose again to set us free from the power of sin. And then, but just as important, Jesus accomplished that, but if no one knew about it, it's kind of pointless. So at the same time, Jesus' mission on earth was to establish the church. So he made a way for the church to be established, but how does Jesus establish it? He establishes it through the Holy Spirit. And so he says he, he began, and honestly, the work of Jesus is still going on. The, like the finished work of redemption is done on the cross, and we celebrated that this morning through baptism because Jesus is, did, did it all, it's done as far as redemption goes, but the work of Jesus continues. That's why it says he began to do and teach, and Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, is a continuation of the work of Jesus. And if you ever read the last chapter of Acts, it ends very frustrating because it's open-ended. It doesn't have an ending. And the reason why is because you're the 29th chapter of Acts, and I'm the 29th chapter of Acts. We are the continuation of that story. So, Let's keep going. Until the day he, has, he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. 
During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So this is another one of the, like a couple weeks ago, I talked about how, you know, I think Jesus looked different after the resurrection. I think this is why, you know, like he had to prove to them, hey, I am alive. I just, um, like, I'm the firstborn among the dead. Like, he's alive and this is, like, Jesus is a precursor of what God has for us, too. If he came back to life, we get to come back to life. Yay. And so, and during this 40 days after resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 people. And he's all over the place. He's popping up into rooms down in Jerusalem that are locked. Like, the rooms are locked from the inside, and he just shows up like, hey, guys. And then he's in rooms, and he's talking to people, and then he's like, peace out, and he disappears. And then, and then he's like, hey, I'm going to meet you up in Galilee. And so they, they walk the, the journey, the several-day journey up to Galilee, and he's walking along, and they're like waiting for him, like, where's Jesus? Like, Peter's like, I'm going fishing, and the seven of them go with him. And, and suddenly he's walking along the banks of the, the Sea of Galilee, and he prepares them. Um, breakfast, and then we're back down in Jerusalem. So, dude, he has his disciples going. And because they still want to be with Jesus. they Like, Jesus is back. I just want to be with him. Because for the last three and a half years, they were with him all the time. And now suddenly they're not with him, so we just want to go where Jesus is at. Well, Jesus had something else in mind, and we're about to find out. Because... Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once while he was on earth. So once he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And at the Last Supper, he told them, I won't be with you always, but it's good that I go because I'm going to send you a helper. And that helper is the Spirit of the living God. We know him as Holy Spirit. And because Jesus was in a body, he was refined to one location at a time. But when he sent the Holy Spirit, suddenly Holy Spirit is in us. And God, through us, can reach the world. Jesus had to do things as we did when he was on earth. He, had to, he could only talk to so many people at once. He was limited by this mortal body. But suddenly, and that's why he said, that, you know, like, greater things you will do than me. Like, you're the son of God. How am I going to do greater things? It's because he sent us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is given to each of us without limit. That's pretty powerful. The difference is the Holy Spirit always rested on Jesus, and he remained on Jesus. Sometimes we get the Holy Spirit to flutter away by yelling at that person in traffic or acting out of our flesh. When we act out of our flesh, the Holy Spirit's like, I don't want to chill out on you right now. Let's be real. When we repent, the Holy Spirit comes back. It's not that you're not a Christian. It's just His presence. His presence will come back. And it's like, okay, I can rest here. But Jesus never did anything to make the Holy Spirit lift off of him. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty big deal. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And they still think, they're still thinking kingdom of 
Israel. They're still thinking, let's set up a king like David. Let's have a palace physical on earth. And the whole time Jesus is thinking, you guys aren't getting it. My kingdom does not have borders. My kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. And so they're still thinking, is it time? Dude, you conquered death. Set up your kingdom. And here we see they're still not getting it. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. So he's not denying that there will be a physical kingdom. But his kingdom right now is in the hearts of man. But one day, very soon, the church will not be on earth anymore. God's going to take it away. It's called the rapture. And then after seven years, he's going to step through the eastern skies and set up his physical kingdom. And he's going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And then he's going to destroy everything and restart and we get to be along with him. That's eschatology in a nutshell. With that said, eschatology is a study of end times. Jesus is going to come back and set up a kingdom. But that's not our concern. That's his concern. Our concern is the kingdom of God now. And that's spreading the gospel so the kingdom can be set up in the heart. But, and then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is, this is that power verse. This is why. So Jesus gave the commands in Matthew and Mark. And then here, this is so cool about God. If God has asked you to do something, he will empower you to do it. He empowered his church. He's not sending them out without power. He's giving them the same power he operated in. Because get this, if they tried to to do what he asked them without the Holy Spirit, they would have just been martyrs. And the church would have never grown. But because Holy Spirit was involved, well, gosh, 2,000 years later, we're gathering on a Sunday morning. And we're leading people to the Lord. Because... They receive power, and the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he indwells us to help us live a holy life. We can't be a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't. So after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. (laughs) Like, after you see Jesus raised from the dead... You see him, let's just like, like let's just name some big ones. You see him, you see him feed 5,000 men. A lot of people think it was 15 to 20,000 people, including women and children. You see him feed these people on multiple occasions. You see him raise multiple people from the dead. One was dead for three days. Then you see him, you see him beaten beyond recognition. You see him hung on a cross and die. He's buried for three days. You see him raised from the dead. You see him pop into rooms that are locked, disappear out of rooms. You see him walk on water. You see him all these things. And at the end, while he leaves the earth, he does something they've never seen. I think there's something here. This is not what I'm talking about, but... Right when you think you have God figured out, you don't have God figured out. He still surprised them. And God is still surprising his church. And they were like, well, this is new. (laughs) 
It's, well, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, they were just standing there. Like, what just happened? Like, we've seen him walk on water. We've never seen this guy fly. And they're standing there like, okay, what do we do? Two white-robed men suddenly, suddenly stood among them. So imagine you're standing there. Have you guys ever been like looking at something and all of a sudden, some, like you're looking at a car and the car salesman walks up and is like, hey. You're like, what? Where did you, you know, like, that is what happened. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Come on. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. So I want to talk to you about some thoughts I have out of this. Because Jesus gives a command. Here. He says, wait. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait. That was his, that was his, before the commission, that was his command. That was the first thing they needed to do. So I want, I want to give you three thoughts out, out of this, and um, these apply to our life. Because um, I believe God has given people instructions in here. I believe there, that maybe it's pray for your neighbor. You, you've been feeling the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and, and you've been, you feel like you need to do something. And, and you know what you need to do, but you haven't done it yet. So um, the apostles were standing there, and they were told to return to Jerusalem. They're only half a mile away. And wait. But what happened was they heard that, and then Jesus went up to heaven, and they stood there watching, not doing what they were supposed to do. So the first thought I want to leave you with is obey him now. Obey him now. I once heard it said that delayed obedience to God is disobedience to God. There needs to be an urgency in our obedience. When you think about the apostles here, Jesus gave them the great command in Mark 16, go and preach to all nations, to everyone. The great commission, make disciples. And that was part of the reason why Jesus came to earth, was to establish the church. There's urgency. And salvation can come through no one else other than Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way the message gets out is through the church. Jesus decided not to send angels to preach it. He entrusted his mission to his church. And he's about to form the church on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit indwells them. And he has a mission for them. And yet here they are standing, watching what Jesus just did. Instead of obeying and God had to send two angels miraculously amongst them, like just appeared amongst them to get their attention so they could obey. Because what God had for the world was more important 
then they're awe and wonder. I'm not saying we don't have awe and wonder in our relationship with God, but he gave them instructions, and I think we can do that. We can be so mesmerized by what God has done in our life that we forget to obey him with the instruction that he gave us. We could be constantly looking behind, oh, look at God, look at God, look at God. Oh, and there's, like, listen, I want you to share testimonies. I'm not saying that. But you can't let, you can't let looking behind you keep you from moving forward. You, because I promise you, if you keep moving forward, obeying God, what's behind you is not as great as what's in front of you. I promise you, God will do greater things than what's behind you if you keep moving forward. If you keep your eyes on obedience, you're going to have more testimonies than just this. And that's what the, that's what the apostles were doing. They are whoa, that was crazy. We've never seen this. We've never seen this. There's like, this guy defied gravity. Technically, gravity didn't exist back then because Isaac Newton didn't invent it yet. But um, they were blown away and they were focused on that and God recaptured it. We can do this all the time. I'm going to share a story and I'm going to give you an example of it in my life. Because I do this all the time too. And I'm going to share a testimony and I'm going to share how it almost kept me from moving forward. Because it's one of the greatest testimonies of my life. And I'm not going to go into details. I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis. But in 2012, I rolled my forerunner. I went out through the sunroof. I cracked my skull, my eye socket, my jaw. I broke my pinky, scraped up my nose, back of hands. It was rough. And um, in, that, in doing that, I laid on the concrete, breathless and... Uh, I didn't know this up until like a year and a half ago. My friends sent me their testimony because they, they were in the car with me. But they said I didn't breathe for like five to six minutes. And um, they were just weeping because a guy walked up and like guess he like kicked me or something. He's like, your friend's dead. There was so much blood coming out of my head. And they were just weeping. They, were, they didn't even get scratched. Like they, they rode out the roll. I went out. Um, they didn't get scratched and... They just, they thought I was dead. And then, you know, they prayed. They're like, oh, God, you know, like they were just, didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, and I, other people heard about the car accident. They were praying. And I went, <gasps> like, and my friend was like, it was the scariest breath I've ever heard. And it was the longest breath I've ever heard. And I didn't know about it. Literally, I was like, um, I was like 10 years out of that car accident or whatever. And, and he's like, I'm like, why have you never told me this? You know, like, that's such a testimony to God. Um, I shouldn't be alive right now. And so they, like, they life flied to me up to, uh, they life flied to me up to uh, Springfield, Missouri, and they had to do brain surgery. They told my parents, he's like, dude, a minimum of a month in the hospital, minimum. Like, this injury, like, I tore all the ligaments in my neck. I had a big OC collar on. Um, hurt my neck real bad. I, I cracked my skull back here. And um, they said, listen, he's going to have to have brain surgery. They had to remove a portion of my skull right here to stop a blood clot that was growing. They put it back, and I still have a lumpy skull to this day. It's like dipped in like, I, like I'm a numb skull. It's still numb. Like, it's crazy. 
And so I, and then they're like, okay, he's going to be in physical therapy for a long time. I went from college athlete to, and running like a 20 minute 5k, which is pretty fast to not being able to walk from me to Amy. Like I, I had to wear this big old belt that, so someone could hold me. And then the first several days I had to use a wheelchair and then they brought in a walker and I can only walk like this. And then, um, and, and it was about four days into the hospital stay. I was just, I, I was so mad at God and I was like, God, I'm a young adults pastor. Why would you let this happen? And all these things and wrong mentality. It wasn't God's fault, but you know, when you're high on morphine, you ask stupid questions. Um, and, uh, I remember finally they wouldn't let me do anything. I just had to lay there and, um, they're like, yeah, he's going to be in here for a while. And about four days in, they let me have my Bible and people were praying for me. The church is praying for me. I had people all over the United States praying for me. And I started reading about Jesus on the cross and Luke and how he he loved people, though he was going through it. And I thought, if Jesus can be crucified and lead people to the Lord, I have no excuses. And all the while, I had one song on repeat from Casting Crowns. It's called In Me. And this, I'm, I'm not going to sing it. But I'll, I will read you the lyrics. This is what I had on repeat in my room. If you ask me to leap out of my boat onto crashing waves, if you, if you ask me to go preach the lost world that Jesus saves, I'll go but I cannot go alone because I know that I'm nothing on my own. But the power of Christ in me makes me strong. It makes me strong because when I'm weak, you make me strong. When I'm blind, you shine your light on me because I'll never give up living by my own. I'll never get by living on my own authority. How refreshing to know you don't need me. How amazing to find that you want me. So I'll stand on your truth and I'll fight with your strength until you bring the victory by the power of Christ in me. I would just sit there and sing that I would sit there and listen to it over and over and over. And then I just started getting better. Suddenly, I wasn't using a walker. I started walking. I was walking all over the hospital. They're like, whoa, this is crazy. And then I, like, they're, they're throwing stuff at me like, okay, can you put this puzzle together? I'm like, yeah. And long story short is 11 days later, I was out of the hospital without a, without a walker, without anything. Yeah, it was God. It was God. And then... I had to go through, I had to go through um, speech therapy, and they're like, he's going to be in speech therapy for a long time, and I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, like, I just started seeing God turn things around. He started letting me pray with people. Nurses were coming into my room to get prayed with, like people that had injuries. Like, he was just opening doors for me to pray with them. I, I, I read that and started listening to that, and God started hearing prayers, man. God hears us when we pray. Don't give up on your prayer life, because they're saying minimum a month, 30 days in the hospital. Like, and they're like, he might not ever do these things again. He might not ever, you know, like when you think about college athletics and playing basketball and then um, three months into speech therapy, the, the therapist was like, you don't need to be here. You're outscoring me. Like, I was outscoring the average of people. Like, there's an average of people with bachelor's degree where they, where they score on this to, to help people realize why they need therapy. They Like, okay, this is where you should be scoring. 
Um, and this is where I started, way down here. It helps you realize, hey, wait, I did have a brain injury. And, and so, um, but in three months, I was scoring so much higher than I should have been. Like when I, and they're like, your brain will never heal all the way. And Amy's like, oh, that's actually probably true. Um, like, but God, like, what, what I'm getting at is I was so blown away. And like, I was like, oh, God did this. And, and to the point where it, it made me almost forget the call of God on my life. Because if the enemy can't get you to walk away from God, he'll want you to look at what God's done so you don't do what God has for you now. I kept focusing on what God done, even like I was still in my church, and, but I was like, oh, look what God did, what God did, which is great. Share those testimonies. But it was literally keeping me from walking out my call. It was, it was holding me captive because I was looking behind me instead of what God has for me. And what's behind you is not as great as what's in front of you. And as I, I got dared to ask this young lady out, or at least start a conversation with her, and she ghosted me for like three weeks. She didn't talk to me for, which I don't blame her. Um, but even at that, when we started dating, I, you know, I had this cool testimony and everything like that. And Amy had to, God was using her almost like these angels, and she is my angel. But, um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are angels. Um, but she, God used her to push me like a men of Galilee moment because I knew that I was called into ministry, but I wasn't, I wasn't walking in that. And Amy's like, dude, you need to put your resume out, Ryan. You need to do like, like quit looking behind you. God has something for us. And delayed obedience is disobedience. We could be, listen, I think we should always be focused on the goodness of God in our life. We should never lose focus of that. But we can't let it keep us from obeying God with his instruction. The disciples saw a miracle and they were mesmerized. And it's beautiful, it's amazing. But he told them to go and wait. So the response is, wow, that's awesome. Let's go. But they were just, whoa. Because we can get so focused on how awesome God is that we can literally forget. The enemy will help us forget his instruction. So when God gives you an instruction, like obviously the Great Commission and the Great Command is for everyone. That's one instruction. Like, I don't have instructions from God. Yeah, you do. It's in Mark 16, Mark, Matthew 28. But sometimes God gives us specific instructions. Like, maybe it's a momentary instruction, like go buy that person's groceries. Maybe it's like, 
he lays on your heart, I want you to pray for that person and just keep praying for him. I have a reminder on my phone. The Lord laid on my heart a couple years ago to pray for a friend from college. Every Monday, 9 a.m., goes off. And the Lord hasn't told me to stop yet. So I'm going to keep doing it. That's a specific instruction. And there's some people here that have that. The Lord's told them to do something, and you've been sitting on it. I want to give you a couple things. We need to obey Jesus quickly. We need to obey Jesus intentionally, and we need to obey Jesus faithfully. So what what does it mean to obey him quickly? Well, that's kind of self-explanatory. The enemy will talk you out of obedience if you don't. If the Lord says, go pray for that person, and you and you're like, was that me or was that the enemy? Was you know, like like you start you start like, I don't know if that was me. Was that me or was that the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, Satan would never tell you to go pray for someone. So like it's it's probably the Holy Spirit. And even if it's not, you walk up and say, Can I pray for you? And they say no, all right, have a good day. Like that's happened so many times to me in the last month like so many times i'm like okay well um i would rather i would rather be wrong and step in faith than be right and not do anything and so obey him quickly cuz if you if you delay the enemy will make a really good case in your head why you shouldn't and the thing is, the Holy Spirit's not pushy. He doesn't, he doesn't like punch you in the face, drag you along. The enemy's pushy. He's like, hey, go pray for that person. He'll just put that passing thought through your head, and then he leaves the faith part up to you. Like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. So we need to obey Jesus quickly because um, the enemy will try to talk you out of it. then we need to obey his instruction intentionally. Make up in your mind right now, like right now, let's just do, let's just do this mental exercise. Make up in your mind right now that if God gives me an instruction, I'm going to do it without delay. Pre-decide to obey God. Uh, dude, is, do it now when you're surrounded by believers because when you're not surrounded by believers and, and you're out in the middle of the grind and you're at work, whatever that is, I promise you it's going to be way harder to pre-decide then when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're irritated, when whatever. So right now, when you and God are good and you're, and you're feeling his presence, decide when you're strong to obey and that, that works for temptation, too. Like, I, I'm going to pre-decide what I'm going to do when the enemy tempts me so I don't fall into sin. Pre-decide. So you, because you don't obey, like, obedience is not by accident. You don't, like, nonchalantly obey. It's an intentional decision. I'm going to obey God. So if we're going to obey him now, I'm going to obey him quickly. I'm going to obey him intentionally. And then I'm going to... Um, obey him. I'm going to follow God's instruction that he's given me faithfully. Predecide to do it consistently and joyfully. Like, what does it mean to do something faithfully? You do it consistently, 
But when we obey God, we need to do it joyfully. Like if it's a, if you're not doing something joyfully for the Lord, what's the point? Just don't do it. Like you walk up to someone, can I pray for you? Like, God loves you so much. I just felt like I needed a witness and tell you that. Jesus died for your sins. Gosh. What's your problem? Like, it doesn't make sense. Obey him now. Obey him faithfully. Faithful obedience to the Lord means you do it consistently. I'm going to predecide to obey him consistently. I'm going to predecide to obey him joyfully. Like, it is a joy to serve. It's a joy to obey, and there's blessing in it. So, um, what do you do? What do you do? The title of my message is Get to Stepping if you need a title. Because what did the angels show up to do? They essentially showed up and said, Get to Stepping. Get going. Get going. You have instruction. Go. Obey him now. Get to Stepping. After you get to Stepping, what's the next thing? Because sometimes we can get overwhelmed. Like, maybe the Lord's put something on your heart that seems so much bigger than yourself, and you're like, I can't accomplish that. And you would be right. You can't. God hardly ever asks you to do something that you can do on your own. Why? Because if you could do it on your own, it would crush you. He always asked us to do something that's impossible for us to do, so we lean on him. So when the weight of it hits us, it's actually hitting him and not us. He'll, he'll never ask you to do something that, you, that doesn't require him. And if you try to do something that does require him, it will crush you. So what do you do next? Well, let's talk about that. The next thought is just do what's next. You don't, like, the next instruction for them wasn't to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. The next instruction for them wasn't to go everywhere and make disciples. It wasn't. It was to go into Jerusalem and wait. That was the next instruction. Maybe the Lord's asked you to start something, a ministry or whatever. Well, maybe the next instruction is to pray. Maybe the next instruction is to have a conversation with a pastor. Or maybe the next instruction. You know what I'm saying? Like, God might put this on your heart. Like, I remember my mom, I, I got called into ministry at the age of nine at a camp. The one time I heard the audible voice of God. I was at an altar. I know I sound crazy. I don't care. But I heard him. I was at an altar praying, and I heard, Ryan, I want you to be my missionary. Now, like, a missionary is a person that grows the kingdom. And that's all I heard. And I, I, I literally thought it was my camp counselor. And I got up, and there was no one within 100 feet of me. They were all at the back of the auditorium talking, and I was the last one in the altars. The speaker was probably in bed. Like, like I was the last person. I thought, who said that? And then I went back, and I said, were you just up at the front? Because I just heard something. And he said, no, no, no one's been up there for like 10 minutes. I was like, whoa. So I came home and I told my mom 
And she said, praise God, I knew that the Lord was going to make you a pastor. Because I prayed that over you in the womb. I was like, I didn't even get a choice in the matter. Like, what the heck? And, um, but obviously a nine-year-old, what's next for me? To serve Jesus. To keep loving him. After high school, I went to seminary. I just did what's next. After seminary, I, I felt called to be a lead, uh, not a lead pastor, a youth pastor. We went into youth ministry. I wanted to be there the rest of my life. And I discovered pastoring um, people that are retired and pastoring teenagers are essentially the same. So, um, <laughs> just joking. I'm just joking. Only when they're like Phil. Um, just a lot of drama and um, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. But what was next? It was like at six years into that, it was just, hey, I want you to be a lead pastor. I started feeling that stirring in my life. heart. I knew it. I knew it, but I didn't know, like, okay. And I didn't say anything to Amy. I didn't say anything to anyone else. I just knew that I was like, I'm supposed to be a lead pastor about four, probably about three years before I became a lead pastor. And I didn't say anything. And then Amy started saying, I think, I think, Ryan, like, God's putting an anointing to be a lead pastor on you. I'm like, no, that's not right. Because I love youth ministry. I love it. And um, I'm like, oh, you're not hearing from the Lord because I'm not hearing from the Lord, clearly. Uh, I, I didn't say anything. And then, and then, like, people will walk up. Like, our superintendent in Southern Missouri laid hands on us one time, and he, and he said that you're, um, God's going to work through you mightily as a lead pastor. I'm like, and it was just confirmation of what the Holy Spirit. So what's next was, you know, put out resumes. Do what's next. What was next for the apostles? It was go and wait. God will give you simple instruction. I promise you the next instruction from God for you is simple. Simple does not equal easy. Those, just because it's simple does not make it easy. I can say, go lift up your car. Simple instruction. Impossible to do. Apart from help. Hence why he sends, you know, the Holy Spirit. He tells them to go... Preach the gospel to everyone? Impossible to do. Hence why the next instruction was to wait for the Holy Spirit, because God will always empower you to do what he's asked of you. If they would have tried to do on their own what he asked of them, all they would have been is martyrs, and we wouldn't know the name Peter. We wouldn't know the name Paul. We wouldn't know the name John. We wouldn't know any of those people. But because... They went and did what's next. They went and waited. And if you guys have ever known, they didn't know how long they were going to wait. He didn't say, go wait for 14 days. He didn't say, go wait for 10 days. Go wait for five days. Go wait for 10 minutes. He just said, go and wait in Jerusalem. And how many of you guys have ever been in a season of waiting? It sucks. Wait, oh, God, God. God's like, I'm going to do something mighty in your life. Just wait. Like, yeah, let's go. He's like, no, 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 wait. Like five years later, like, what, what the heck, God? I just wait. I got you. But all the while, while you're waiting, he's preparing you for the mighty move. He's preparing you for what's next. Waiting on God is just as important as what the command is. Some of us are in a season of waiting, and you're irritated. That's what's next. 
That is what's next. Just do the next command. If God's saying, wait, do that. Well, some of us want a, we want a next command. God, I didn't like that last command. Can you give me a new one? That one's tough. God won't give you something new until you do the last thing he told you to do. Do what's next. That's all the apostles had to do. Just do what's next. Go wait. Simple, frustrating, hard. I literally just gave you the three nicknames Amy has given me. Simple, frustrating, hard. With that said, I really do. Uh, hold on. I do feel like there's people in here that God's laid something on your heart to do, and you've been trying to wiggle your way out of it, and you've been frustrated with God because He hasn't let, He hasn't released you of that instruction. I'm telling you. He'll release you when you do it. And it will be for your benefit. Like, and, and you just come out of a season where you're like, I don't know how God can make any of this work together for good. I don't know. But that's how God works. And it's prepared you for what's next. It's prepared you for what's next. But you want what's next without doing what he's asking you to do now. I'm telling you right now, do what the Lord's told you to do now. Do what's next now. Obey him quickly, obey him faithfully, and obey him intentionally. Do it now, and then because he's prepared you. You might feel like you're unprepared for what he's asked. That's the point. He sent the Holy Spirit to prepare you, to help you. Do what's next now. God's not going to give you new instruction until you follow the last instruction. Do what's next now, and it will make that frustration that you have go away. You might even start to feel joy in that relationship again. The last thing I want to remind you and give you is God will refocus us. Maybe you've forgotten what the next instruction is. Well, the beautiful thing is God has a way of refocusing us. might sound like this. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Instantly refocused. Instantly refocused. Like, wait, what? God has a way of getting our attention off of things to focus on what we need to do. God will refocus you on what's next. He didn't refocus them on the Great Commission. He refocused them on waiting on him. What did they do as soon as they heard this? They turned and they went to Jerusalem. Where did Jesus say to wait? Go and wait in Jerusalem. He grabbed our attention he grabbed their attention and refocused And maybe God is sending people into your life to do that. I know for me, I have several men in my life that have helped me refocus over the years. And 
Um, I have a great board here that has helped me refocus because I, I know like what the Lord's laid on my heart for you guys. And I believe that God is going to grow his kingdom mightily through this church. I believe he's going to do it through the church in general. But I believe through this church specifically, he has such mighty plans for this body of believers. But I can get so focused on next year and so focused on five years that I forget right now what I need to do. And I have a board that reminds me and, and, and a staff that reminds me of like, hey, you know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Do what's next. What do you got to do right now? And, and they, they, they help me hone in like, okay, this is what's next. We need to do this. We need to do this. And I know I can't be the only one that does that, right? Maybe I am. I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. That's cool. You didn't have to agree with me so quickly, Mike. Um, God has a way to refocus, on, refocus us on what's next. You can't accomplish what he's asked of you on your own. And I think maybe today, right now, is that moment for you. I'm going to try my own statement here. People of God, why are you standing here staring into what God has done? When he has a purpose for your life moving forward. He has a call on your life. You're like, I don't feel called to be a pastor. You still have a call. It's to serve the Lord faithfully to reach people far from God faithfully. Maybe you're like, I don't know what that next is for us. Okay, that's okay. You can ask the Lord. And maybe he won't tell you. I don't know, but I can tell you this. I, I can tell you what's next until he does tell you. Make disciples and share the gospel follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. If he tells you to pray with someone, pray with someone. He tells you to buy groceries, buy groceries. If he tells you to bless your neighbor, bless your neighbor. If he tells you to chill out and wait and go sip on some coffee, chill out and wait and go sip on some coffee. But do what's next. Some of us need to ask God what's next. Some of us need to be reminded of what the Lord told us what was next that we've ignored. And some of us, I can tell you what's next for you. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, what's next for you is to make him Lord of your life. And maybe this is that moment is to refocus. I want us to refocus on what God's asked of us. Man, if you need to make Jesus Lord of your life today, or maybe you've... God's about to do something. The enemy's trying to distract like that. God's about to do something. Because maybe, maybe you've walked away from the Lord and you haven't been living for him. What's next is to say, God, you can have me. I want to make you Lord. Because the reality is Jesus died for you in your place. God made him 
who knew no sin to become sin for us. There's not one sin exempt. Well, Pastor Ryan, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've done. Like, how can God forgive me? God didn't say, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, except for this sin. Oh, no, no, that one's too bad. Or except for murderers, except for pedophiles. No, God made, I want you to get the context. And I'm going to ruffle some religious feathers for a moment. I probably already have, but I don't care. When it says God made him who knew no sin to become sin, I want you to process how severe this was for Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he became a murderer. He became a pedophile. He became he became sin. You name the sin, Jesus became the sin for us. There's not an exemption of sin that he became that he can't save you from. He's a redeemer. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care. I, I don't care because what's in front of you in Christ is greater than what's behind you without Christ. Even if it's what's behind you is with Christ, what's in front of you is greater. What's in front of you is greater. And some of us need to give our lives to Jesus today. And it's this simple. Jesus I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again three days later. I believe that you're the son of God. Forgive me of my sin and be Lord of my life. And if you mean that, not just words, words don't mean anything. What will be proof is how you walk out of here. There will be a change. You will be born again. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in Christ, we might get right standing with God. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. So let's stand. I want us to take a moment today. First and foremost, if you need prayer, we're, me and my wife are going to be up here. We're going to pray with you. For anything, we want to pray with you for anything. Like, don't look. This is just not for the responsibility. We want to pray for you for anything, but maybe... Maybe you need to find a spot and pray, and you need to ask the Lord, God, refocus me. I forgot what's next. Maybe you need to ask the Lord, what's next for me and my family? For What's next, Father? What do you want of me? And open your ears. And he might not say it today, but just, being, just, just be intentional of listening. Those, those passing thoughts, when you're in the Word, the Lord might reveal to you something in the Word. As you're praying, ask him, what's next? Or, Lord, refocus me on what's next. You told me, but I forgot. Or, I haven't been listening. Maybe we need to repent. God, forgive me. But if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to recommit your life to Jesus. I am going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat as we, as we sing, as we pray together. And I'm going to ask you to come down here and I want to pray with you. My wife wants to pray with you. We want to introduce you to Jesus. So just to be clear, as Pastor Andy starts to lead, as the team starts to lead, if you need one of the prayer for one of those things, I want you to respond during his singing. I'm not going to force you. 
I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to do any of that. I just know that there are people that need to refocus. There are people that need to give their lives to Jesus. There are people that need to give their lives back to Jesus. Let's not walk out of here the same.